Hey, y'all, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation, and this is our hot topic. So a report just came out this February 2023 that is some bad news, but it's kind of what we probably already know. Um, MRI studies show that racism and poverty may alter brain development of black children. And this was presented in the American Journal of Psychiatry. Researchers at Harvard, they looked at MRI scans for about 7,000 white kids and about 2,000 black kids ages 9 to 10. And the data shows um, that the stressors of being black in this country are impacting our children. So things like economic hardship, our experiencing systemic racism, they play a significant role in children and can lead to a, like delayed development um, for black children and create some mental health issues as they age. And so we know that the stress as parents, we know that we're stressed out, right? We know about microaggressions. We know about the ways that implicit bias impact us. And sometimes we think that we're protecting our children from it. Like, oh, they don't know. They're just little. We keep try to keep them in bubbles. But to be honest, this data is showing us that even when we try to create those um, bubbles that like this stuff is still getting to our kids. So what can we do? Right. And I think it's time for us to start to have the hard conversations with our children. I know that we think that our kids are too young, but because these infrastructures and the systems are all around them and they're interfacing in the world, it's important for us to wrap our wrap all the love and care around black children, lift them up, support them. We need to just love on them, affirm them, let them know that they are brilliant, bright lights. We need to let them know and affirm them that they are joyful and loving and caring and that they deserve so much and that we need to be honest with them about some of the systems. I know that we should do it at an age-appropriate way that makes sure that they know that these things exist outside of them. And even if they hear these messages or hear these things or see these things in the news or on television, that it's nothing inherently wrong with them as a black person. And that we need to remind them of who they are, whose they are, what power and legacy we come from. Um, and so we have to continue to remember that for ourselves as parents. Um, we have to continue to remember that and remind ourselves we need to continue to push that on our children because these systems still exist in the world. And then we also need to get our boots on the ground. We need to show up and advocate to dismantle these systems of racism and systematic um, oppression that are like economic oppression, right? Financial hardship, all of those things. We need to continue to be a part of the work. We need to join the different movements like the the fight for a living wage. We need to join the movements to fight to end racism. We need to join the movements that are advocating for critical race theory in schools, right? We as black parents have so much power and we need to use our power to affect change so that our children aren't experiencing these different desperate impacts of racism on their development, right? And so tonight and every night, I want y'all to love on your babies and even when they, you know, stress us out and we're stressed out, that at the core of it, we want them to know that they are loved, that they are loved, that they are worthy, that they are deserving of all the things, of all the good things, of all the blessings, because they are black and beautiful. And so are you as a parent. Um, this just keeps reminding me why I do this work, this data, this data. This, this study that just came out, it just reminds me why we do this work. We do this work so that we can try to prevent the impacts of chronic stress from racism and white supremacy on us as parents, but also on our children. And so as a parent for liberation representative, just know that we love y'all. We got y'all. 
um, and we are going to continue to provide the resources that we can from healing justice to educational workshops to providing resources like access to healing therapy and things of that nature. If you don't follow us, check out our website parentingforliberation.org so that you can get access to some of this medicine that we're trying to offer to try to counteract the white supremacy that is all around us yeah and on this episode we're talking to someone who is also thinking about how do we interrupt intergenerational trauma an author by the name of Kwame Harris who will be talking about his book pushing generations forward all right we gotta love each other support each other that's our work raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleep. Hey, y'all, welcome to Parenting for Liberation. On this episode, we speak with author and life coach Kwame Harris about addressing our intergenerational trauma and the necessity of our healing journey as parents in order to empower our children and future generations while we continue to fight against oppression in our communities. Kwame is an advocate for youth and families. He recently wrote a book titled Pushing the Generations Forward, which emphasizes the importance of empowering the next generation and finding purpose in the face of life's hardships. Kwame has been working in human services for over 15 years. He works in youth development and family support services. When he's not working, he enjoys spending time with his wife, his family, and friends. Welcome to the podcast, Kwame. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me, having me, having me. And uh, I'm glad to be here, y'all. Yes, we're excited to have you and to talk a little bit about the work that you do and supporting families and youth development and also how it informs the book that you just yeah. wrote. Um so let's just hop to your book. You know what I mean? So your book is let's called Pushing Generations Forward, and it emphasizes the focus of um, acknowledging our own traumas, right, and developing and understanding where it comes from so that we can begin our healing journeys. And so much of that is connected to the work of Parenting for Liberation. Um, one of our first pillars of work is our healing justice work, which is really about mm-hmm. how do we as parents heal ourselves so that we can raise liberated children. And it takes that work of, identifying our own traumas and our own triggers um, that don't have necessarily anything to do with our children. Some of us be snapping at our children, but it don't even really have nothing to do with them. It's our own Mm -hmm. shit that we got to deal with. So I'm curious, can you tell us about like how you got to that journey and how did you actually um, discover? At what point did you realize that like you had a traumatic childhood that you needed to heal from? Yeah. Yeah. So again, thank you for having me. And and, and, um, you know, up until, you know, up, up until the age of 12, you know, I grew up in a single family household, you know, I, you know, my, you know, my stepfather, who's, you know, one of the greatest humans I would know came into my, into my life at the age of 12. And who, he's also the greatest contributor, one of the greatest contributors to where I am today. But my, my, my but my biological father was in a prison, he missed majority of my life. And in fact, I think I maybe have, I think I maybe have like maybe one or two childhood experiences that actually pertain, that actually pertain to my biological father that was actually good. And so he was a severe drug addict, um, severe alcohol user. And so, you know, early on, th- those experiences early on exposed me to trauma. Mm-hmm. And so after seeing, you know, going through all of that, after seeing all of that, after figuring all that out, you know, 
something in me understood that a that something's not right. Right. And I understood that this can't this this couldn't be a healthy way of living. And, and Trina, I noticed that at eight years old. At eight years old. And I talk about in the book, right? At eight years old, I decided that based on my own trauma and the trauma I witnessed in my family, I, I had to do something different. Right. I had to be the person to stop this these these serious life altering traumatic events that were happening in my family. Right. And I see the and, and you know we all understand the long-term benefits of these traumatic experiences. And I was like, you know what? I got to do something about this. Right. And that's how, you know, I, I thought to myself, I must find a way to put that halt, to put a halt to the generational trauma and the generational bro- bro- brokenness that I experienced in my life. And so I thought to myself that if I could find a way to put my family in a better position, mostly economically, then I could potentially start the plague of that brokenness start the plague of that trauma that I saw within my family. Because I don't want the next generation of young people in my family to go through what I went through in life. Right. And so, you know, and I even thought, you know, in, in, in ways to do that, I even thought, I thought football would be my way out, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I came to that realization early on, you know, after I took a D3 scholarship or a D3 admission to a D3 school, I knew that football wouldn't be that way. I, what wouldn't, was, wouldn't be my way out. But, you know, I realized that, you know, education was, was my meal ticket. And so, you know, that was my way of, of realizing, um, you know, that was my way of becoming a first-generation college student, a first-generation college graduate, um, a first-generation professional, um, and also been my way of to be able to do things that, um, that that's a part of, like, my ancestors wish they could have done at some point in their lives. Yeah. You know, a lot of your childhood um, story... Um... Not a lot of it. Some of it resonates, and, and I'm sure for folks who are listening, it sounds familiar because those are a lot of the traumas and violence that plague um, the community, right, that could plague mm-hmm. a lot of our families. Um, similarly, growing up, my father was an addict um, and struggled with addiction um, and would often go through, like, phases, long periods of recovery um, where he would go to rehab and he would be clean. Um, mm-hmm. Dad is such a powerful influence in my life, Um because my dad simultaneously was the one who was there for me, picked me up from school, did all the things like that fathers, black fathers do. Um, And I could see the struggle that he experienced with addiction. Um, And he was also the one who taught me about like the black power movement and Mm -hmm. helped me understand like the role of white supremacy. He could even help me understand how his addiction was linked to like the war on drugs and how that, interrupted our families dramatically um, and ripped families apart. So simultaneously while dealing with his own addiction, he had a great sense of knowing. Um, Mm -hmm. He wasn't an educated man from college or anything like that. He he was definitely uh, trained through the school of the hard knocks. But what it allowed me to do is to see the humanity of a person who has an addiction, Um, Mm -hmm. which nowadays folks have so much compassion for folks who are addicted in the opioid crisis because of the complexion of their skin predominantly who is being impacted. But when it was the crack epidemic, like it was a lot of war on drugs. Um, It was a lot of terrorizing communities, locking people up. There was no conversations about rehab and wellness and what was going on in our communities. And so for me, I tried to hold the simultaneity of people who are addicted or who go to jail um, also try to hold the complexities of um, 
the systems of oppression and how they are connected, right? Like drugs didn't magically appear in our communities, right? Yeah, um, and there's so many reasons why our communities experience higher rates of multiple things. We experience higher rates of domestic violence, higher rates of of other types of violence. And I want to always name that as, you know, as a person who is an advocate for black families and black communities that I don't believe in pathologizing black people because there's mm -hmm. nothing inherently wrong with us that makes us more likely. Yeah. But the conditions that we live in contribute to um, those higher rates of multiple issues, right? And so I try to hold the both and of like, yes, yeah. those situations are very traumatic. I remember I escaped through learning. I escaped through the library. I was always at the library reading a book. I stayed after school. So yeah, my school and my education were my, you know, my exit strategies, but I never intended to exit without coming back, right? Coming back mm -hmm. to support, to lift up, to actually start to dig at the root causes of these issues in our community, that they're not just black people are inherently flawed, right? Um, yep. That these were all systems that were constructed, right? The the low income, the child, the welfare system, the child welfare system, like all of those institutions are working together and they're all rooted and seeded in white supremacy. You know, if you look at the history of any of those institutions that are supposed to help the community, if you look at mm -hmm. their histories and how they were founded, right, they were intentionally set up, right? The Law enforcement started off as slave patrol, right? It was never meant to s protect and serve black people. It was meant to lock people up, and it's doing a really good job, right? Um, and so I just wanted to make sure we frame that because as you are doing this work of, like, pushing and shifting generations forward, I want to make sure that we hold the complexities of the experiences of black people in the 80s and the 70s and what that meant um, yeah. and how that contributed to these generations right now, right, our generation, where we do have a lot of trauma that we're healing from. Um, yeah. And so, I, you know, I just wanted to frame that and I wanted to kind of ask you a question about like when you think about the work that you're doing, that's about mindset shifts. Right. Like that's what coaching mm -hmm. the work that you do as a coach. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's like about shifting away from these mindsets without understanding the context of trauma and without understanding the context of like the black experience in America. Um so you have a different understanding about how you address, you know, the past people's past experiences and learning from them without it being um, without it being like victim blaming. Right. And mm -hmm. so can you tell me a little bit more about how you came to your own understanding, especially as a life coach and someone who supports young people? Yeah. You know, you know, I understand that, you know, we all we all come to this, you know, when we when we come to this work, when we come to you know, how, you know, how we, we all navigate life, life in, in various ways. And we all have had opportunities. So I'm sorry, Trini, could you ask that question one more time? Yeah, I was just talking about, um, you know, you are a life coach and, you know, there's some, you know, there's some folks that are life coaches that are just about like, oh, you just have to shift your mindset, right? It's just about yeah. if you think different, you'll be different. And it's like, yes. And how does, the work that you do, it feels a little different because you're looking at the systemic and the the institutionals and the structural um, impacts and how that creates trauma, right? It's not only just about shifting your mindset. There are actually real life conditions that need to be shifted. And I know you do some of that in your work. So I was asking you to share yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. And, and so what's crazy about it is I actually cringe at when, you know, especially as a life coach, when, you, when we tell people to just get over or, or ignore what's going on, right? Because, you know, biologically that makes no sense right we have to be able to address those things right I, I used to be the same way i used to be like oh you know especially as a man like you're taught suck it up forget about it you know you know it's what it is 
But when you realize none of these things help you deal with what's actually going on, then you, you got to figure out, okay, th- that's not helping me. And so, you know, what I understand about us and how we address it is we, we aren't robots. We aren't robots, right? We have emotions. We have feelings. And biologically speaking, you can't just turn those things on and off, right? Our feelings are a natural part of our, our genetic makeup. Um, our, our, our feelings often tells us that something is wrong. And so, in a way, our feelings are our alarm system. And in what in what country and in what area should we, you know, should we ignore our alarm systems? And so part of what, you know, me as a coach, part of me is working with young people, you know, working with families, like we gotta figure out a way to address it. Because if we don't if we don't figure out a way to address it and and we try to bury it, there's there's consequences to that. Right? There's you know, that's that's depression, that's anxiety, that's low self esteem. That's why why, you know, those are the things that are causing us pain because we're not addressing it. And therefore, we have those, we have those things, those depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem and so many other things. And so addressing it becomes is a, a natural part of healing. Because despite what other folks might believe, we can actually, we can actually heal from our trauma. Like we can heal from those past experiences. And, but if we can't heal, if we bury it, we can't heal if we ignore it. We can't, we, we can't heal if we can't say, in this moment, I'm hurt. Right? Healing is important because we have to learn from those experiences. And no matter how hard they were to get through, we gotta be able we, we gotta be able to 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 talk about it. To be we gotta be able to have those tough conversations because it's it's important. And we can't just ignore it and 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 think that these things didn't happen to us. We can't ignore that oppression happened. We can't. It's still happening today. We can't ignore the the you know the racial injustice that are taking place today. We gotta actually address it. And, you know, that's, that's a part of trying to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and a study shows that, that finding one's life purpose, for example, um, can help to help to support that healing or help to Mm -hmm. support that emotional recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that your, you know, the work that you do and the, the book that you have is really about supporting folks and finding, um, their life purpose. And so have you seen this in your own work and in your own life um, with the youth and families that you work with? How is that impactful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, th- that purpose is, that purpose is uh, key. I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in purpose. Uh, I believe if you want to get clear about what you want to do in life, we have to get clear about our purpose. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like the old saying without the vision, people will perish. Right. That goes the same for our household. In, in our communities. Purpose and vision, and vision, I believe, are not mutually exclusive. So I remember the day I figured out what my purpose was. You know, um, I was at a, a, black history of, a Black History event um, at my church, and there's this older gentleman walking in as if he was, as if he was, as if he was Frederick Douglass. And I was like, well, who does this guy think he is? He's Frederick Douglass. Does, who, is, who does this guy think he is? Frederick Douglass? Turns out he was a Frederick, Frederick, Douglass, Frederick, Frederick Douglass impersonator. And so he goes into, um, you know, what is what is the slave to a Fourth of July speech, and he delivers it with so much impact and so much just so much tenacity around it. I was I was I was intrigued. And then he goes to say, at at, at the end of his speech, he's like, "Well, where are you today? Like, where are you?" And then he asked the crowd, and no one knew the answer to it, or what he was what he was actually trying to say. But and he asked again, "Where are you today?" He's like, "Are you at the table, or are you on the menu?" And he said, 
everything that you, he said, every day of your life, you should position yourself so that you are at the table. And it was that day that I knew that I, that, that was my purpose in life. That was my purpose to make sure that everything I, I'm doing in my life is to be at the table so that I can make, I can help make decisions about my life. Because far too long, there are people who don't look like me, who don't share the same experiences as me, you know, who, who, who will never go through what I went through in life, were at the table making decisions about my life. And so that day gave me purpose. And what I believe is, you know, as, and especially with a lot of our young people, you know, if you can help them get their purpose and also not just young people, but anybody, like if you can help people find their purpose, it's like riding a bike. You help them and you help them and you help them and then they eventually get it. It's like, it's like a, it's like a newness to them that they're enjoying and they're loving. Um, and they realize they, they may no longer need that help or support from you. And so I would argue that people our, our young people, um, it's not necessarily lacking discipline, it's about lacking purpose. And that's why and that's why we have to, and we have to figure out what our purpose is in life. And like for me, my purpose is pushing generations forward. Right? And so I spend every single day trying to live up to that purpose. Mm. That's really helpful. And so as you do this work of pushing generations forward as your purpose, like what does that look like? Like how do you because, like, I could imagine someone listening being like, well, how do I discover my purpose, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, like, how did you discover yours? And as you're pushing generation forward, how do you know that you're on – how do you know that you're on task and on target yeah. um, with your purpose? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think for most, for mostly it's just sitting down and evaluating, you know, what is, what is it that you want out of life, right? What, is, what are some of the things that makes you happy, that, you know, that makes you – you know, the things that, like – you don't have to stress getting out of the bed for it because you want to do those things, right? That's a part of your purpose. I know for me, like I love helping people. I I love I love seeing people happy based on my support and, and helping to them, right? And so when I when I thought about pushing, when I coined the phrase, or when when I coined the phrase pushing generations forward, that aligned with what my what my inner self was telling me. This this makes me happy. This brings me peace. These are the things that. Um, I can do without getting paid for. Like, you know, again, you want to make, you want to, you, you know, it'll be real. You want to make money, but again, that's the kind of peace it brings me. And so, when you're when you're seeking your purpose, because you'll know when you know, right? It's just, it's just it just connects with you. Like the day I, like I met with the, I mean, I'm sorry, the day I heard the Frederick Douglass impersonator, it, it it did something to my to my spirit, to my soul that I connected with it. And it allowed me, it gave me motivation to be able to say, this is what I want to do. And so, but you have to have those tough talks with yourself, you know, talk to your friends. Like, where, where do you see me when I'm the most happiest? You know, or, or talk to, you know, you, you, you know, someone that you trust. Like, what, what do you, what do you feel like I thrive in? You know, so I think it's about having those tough conversations because I think it's important, um, you yeah. gotta. It's we all have a purpose in life. I believe that. I believe in some way. In some way, we our purpose is to make it better for the next generation. But you know, that's an overarching purpose. But I believe that we all have individual purpose, um, and we gotta be, we gotta be able to find that mm-hmm. in whatever it is we're doing in life. Yeah, I could imagine some parents who are listening right to the podcast might might have um, 
I wonder if I guess the one question I had um, for myself is I was thinking I'm like, oh, I wonder how my purpose evolves and grows over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could imagine that some parents who are listening are like, oh, right now my purpose is to raise these children so that they are successful and that they are well and they are healthy. Right. Um, that might be their current like, you know, focus. Um, and <clears throat> as we are doing the work to discover and evaluate and address and like heal and discover our own purpose um, as an effort to like break the cycle of trauma that you've talked about, um, what can we do to empower our children? through this process? You know, we, and, and I talk about this in my, in my work all the time. Like, you know, like we have to have some tough talks with our children, right? I think a lot of times, especially in our communities, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taught to just not talk about it, right? You know, and, you know, our children, we know our children, our children have experienced trauma, but we, we just don't want to talk about it. We, we don't want to talk about it. And so, what we have to do is sit our young people, sit our kids down and be like, hey, let's let's really talk about what's going on with you and how that situation or that thing may have affected you negatively. Right. So uh, easy and if you if you feel if you're a parent, you don't feel comfortable like you might find it awkward, well, you know, turn the TV on and and then ask questions about a particular scene you see on the TV that may relate to you know, some situation that your, that your child may, may have experienced. Okay, well, tell me about, about what you, how you feel about that situation, right? And that opens the gateway up for you to, to have a deeper conversation about what you really want to have a conversation about. There's plenty of examples that you can, you know, you can pull away from media, you can pull away from the, from the radio, um, you know, to be able to have those tough talks with, 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 with your child. And I think, and I think it's, it, it opens up some deeper conversations um, in the future. I think also too, when you think about the trauma that we experience and you know trying to navigate that world is part of doing that we gotta we gotta start helping our young people, our children build that build the skills of emotional regulation right? mm. our young people what does that look like? How do we help them build I, the skills of emotional regulation I think the the biggest thing is helping them understand like build the vocabulary around emotions mm. like because I think in in those in those moments like we can easily, you know, take being mad as the same thing as disappointed, as the same thing as being frustrated. And so we got to help our young people, help ourselves build that emotional vocabulary by, in this particular moment, I'm not really mad. I'm just frustrated. I'm just disappointed. Because how I act when I'm mad or angry is far different when, I'm, when I can name or say I'm frustrated. In, in that particular moment, and so building that emotional vocabulary, I think is 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 the key in helping in helping our uh, our, our youth build uh, those those emotional regulation skills. Yeah, that's so important. It's important that that we support our children, um, especially Black children, because even if we as parents try to create the safest environment, right? Um, which is so important, right? Because, because, you know, there's data that shows that nurturing environments are critical for well-being, right? Um, The Journal of American Psychology said that, right? There's data to show that. Um, How can we as parents create a safe and nurturing environments for our children who may be dealing with the effects of generational trauma or 
oppression or racism because they're witnessing and experiencing it, right? That's what I wanted to say. They are yeah. witnessing and experiencing it even if we create, you know, we'll try to put them in a bubble. We can't. So how do we create a nurturing environment to help support them as they may be dealing with those things that are happening in the real world? Yeah. I, th- I think it goes back to me. It goes back to having a space to talk. I think it's it's so important having that that safe space to be able to talk about what's going on, because um, we got to be real. They like like you said, they they've seen it. They they've already put two and two together. I myself, I put it, I put together eight years old, and so if we're just choosing to ignore it or we we don't think that they're our, our kids are seeing that, well, that's not that's not entirely true. And so, but how can we use what we see? And those experiences that we're seeing intergenerationally, how can we use those experiences, or how can, yeah, how can we use those experiences as teaching moments? Mm, you know, I talk about, yeah, I talk about Sankofa in, in the book, and it's really about just understanding that, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the, the symbol Sankofa, like you have the, the bird's feet planted forward, um, with his with his body also planted forward, but with his um, with with the egg in his mouth, which represents uh, the future, and his head to the, towards towards the uh, the back of his body, and that represents looking back in the past and learning from it. All right, and so that symbolizes for us like we have to be able to look at what happened in our family, look at the things that the generational trauma and the brokenness that plagued our family, and we got to be able to learn from that, because the next generation is depending on, upon us to learn from that so that we don't make the same mistakes the previous generation did. Mm. I also name, right, as much as we do have generational trauma and violence that we're reaching back and learning from, um, Mm -hmm. Sankofa to me is also about reach, um, it's like go back and fetch it, right? So you also can go back and fetch the amazing things, things, the incredible things, the the resilience, the strength, the wisdom, the brilliance, right? Like as much as trauma is passed down generation to generation, so are our incredible, powerful, resilient, brilliant, you know, there's also the beauty and the resilience that is passed down, right? Like our ancestors have survived so much. So all that power and strength that they had, all of that strategy that they had to create the underground railroad, all that creativity that they had to create the arts, to create music, to create rhythm and blues, to create country music, rock and roll, everything that was stolen from us, right? Like we had so we have all of that brilliance and creativity and magic within us mm-hmm. right now. That's why currently black people are trendsetters. And so I just also like to hold the the, the both and of like, yes, we need to learn and heal from the trauma of our past. And we do that by honoring um, the rich legacy that we have to build upon. Right. And so yeah. I, I do love Sankofa. That I, was my college yeah. graduation theme from African grad. Yeah. <laughs> I love it too. I love it too. Like it, it, it was empowering for me. Right. Because we we that that grit and that resilience is so important, and we've been having it for for many generations. We've been having it since the beginning of time, I would say. Absolutely. And so I think I love how you bring up just understanding that you know, you know, we want to learn from our trauma, but we also want to learn from we we are the trendsetters. We are when we when we say we were the first to do something, oh, we do it, and we do it well, right? And so that I think that's also important, you know. To I I love that you highlight. The, the positive things that we, we bring back from Sankofa as well, or from the theme of Sankofa. Yeah, totally. So just um, thinking about 
the future, right? Because Sankofa is about reaching back and getting and bringing forward, right? Bringing mm-hmm. forward the things that we want to bring forward. And there's some things in our past that we want to leave behind. The trauma, yep. the unhealthy, the toxic parts, right? We want to leave that behind and bring forward the, the positive, beautiful things into the future. Um, so what do you hope to see in the future when it comes to us in addressing intergenerational trauma and promoting healing for our families? You know, I, what, what my hope is, is that we, that we continue, because I think we're already doing this, that we continue to raise up a generation who, who, is, who, who, is, who are experiencing less trauma. Because I, I think that we will always have traumatic experiences, but... As long as we're in America, ho- KKK, yeah, yes, we yeah, will. Yeah, ex- exactly, right? And, and, you know, like traumatic experiences could be, could be a whole lot of things, right? We, we, we can't, we will never be free from trauma. What I am saying is, I hope that's not there are true. some. <laughs> what, what are you saying? I said I hope that's not true. <laughs> I right, hope. Well, I, mean, I hope. Right. You know, I'm thinking. You know, from an Afrofuturistic perspective, you know, far future in the right. line. I would hope that, um, yeah, that we've been able to cut the heads off of the the ugly monster of white supremacy and capitalism and racism and patriarchy. Right. And I feel like the future generation is doing a good job of like checking all of that toxic, unhealthy stuff that our generations may have thought was normal. So I'm just like, I hope don't say that. No, I mean, you can say what you want, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep hope alive. Okay. I agree. I agree. (laughs) I agree. And I, but I think, you know, and I was going to say like, you know, cause I, you know, you know, for 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 some folks, you know, the experiencing of 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 death for a loved one could be traumatic, right? Um, you know, all this. But what I will That's say true. is, to your, to I get your what point, you're saying. There's gonna you know, always to be your, some type of trauma. I get what you're saying. Okay, point taken. Touche. No, no. But to <laughs> your, I, I think you're right. I think you're right, though, because to your point, you know, there are some trauma that we should never have to experience, right? Like racism, oppression. You know, and and, and so. You know, and that's why I say, you know, we we will have those traumatic experiences in life because that's a part of, Well, you know, actually, I was thinking about it. If we return to our ancestral ways of being, then death wouldn't feel like something traumatic. Because, Absolutely. Because you when, you watch, when you watch Black Panther and they go to the ancestral realm, they are actually not gone. Our ancestors are not gone. They're still, they're just on the ancestral plane. So it's quite possible, not for us, but I'm sure that... <laughs> There's going to be things that are going to be, you know, hard. I just think I think about trauma in these very big ways. So apologies. But yes, continue, continue. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it because I thought about it. I was like, well, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Like those, those, you know, those ways of, you know, it's not a, but I also think about too, is just like, you know, when we think about, you know, what happens, this made me think about what you just said. What happens when, you know, we experience those traumatic experiences and we don't really have anyone there to help us through those traumatic, those traumatic experiences, right? To teach us what death is about and all those things. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about like, you know, it, it, I don't know the direct correct terminology for it, but like it's it, maybe it's less traumatic when you have the support of our community. You know, mm-hmm. the lessons that we pass down to our community. Mm-hmm. Is it less traumatic? Probably. Yeah, when you have to, that support. To, yeah. And so, yes. And so... But back to your point is, you know, <laughs> what do you hope to see in the future when it comes to addressing to intergenerational trauma and promoting healing? <laughs> exactly what you said. Um, I, I hope to see in the future that we can start addressing, um, you know, the, the trauma that we, we experience in our lives, um, addressing 
that, that generational trauma that has plagued our families for years and we can start actually moving forward because I think we're already doing that and we're moving forward and we're building a better black community. We're, we're building a better black household and we're building an even greater um, uh, base for black wealth, a greater base for, um, you know, seeing our young people in STEM, seeing our kids um, thriving in, in their emotional regulation. I just see a, a future where we are healthy, where we are, we are healthy, we are even healthier. And I see a future where we, we are thriving in all the aspects and we're leading in a lot of those areas and a lot of, and a lot of the tech in, in the tech world and the mental health world um, and, and empowering our communities to be able to, uh, to get back to um, our community efforts because we're stronger when we're a community. And that, and that goes back to ancient times, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we thrive. I would love to see us get back to those things. Yes, from your mouth to the ancestors' ears. Yeah, um, yeah. Ashe. So, yes, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing to continue to push generations forward um, so that we can create that world that you're dreaming about, that we're all dreaming about, that our kids as black children will be free, will be whole, will be liberated, and have all the resources that they need to thrive, along with a very loving, supportive community. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.